love you. Will you please pray with me? Lord, it seems like it can be such a, a simple prayer that we're going to see your victory. But even today, in this moment, we, we saw examples of what it was like for the enemy to try to come in and do something that you said can't be done. And on our own, we do not proclaim to have that answer. I'm not going to tell anybody anything on my own accord. I want to point them to you. Jesus Christ, I pray that because you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, that you're going to be in the hearts of the people today. And I pray that your word that's living and active like a two-edged sword pierces through joints and marrow, and that it shatters the lofty arguments because ultimately we're here to worship and to bring you glory. And that's all. That's as simple as it can be. We love you, Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. I'm going to invite my son, Luke, to come up here and read God's word. And as he comes up, please stand for the awesome privilege of hearing God's word read over his people. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observed your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also, who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children, if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Thank you, Luke. I tell you, if there's ever a time you want to walk up here and preach God's word, it is right now. As a police officer, I feel like I should just put my gun belt on and my vest because we are in a battle, people. And I'm listening to what's going on around us, not in my notes, right? And just wondering how God's going to do all this. So we have a lot to cover today because God has a message for us. Open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're in a series called Standing Firm, Living as Hope-Filled Foreigners. Living as Hope-Filled Foreigners. And today's message is going to focus on 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7, that Luke read. But we're not going to get there right away. We're going to talk about some background here. So on the screen behind me, you see a picture of Rome burning. Now, this book, for those you who haven't kept up the past couple weeks, this book is written around 64 A.D., when Nero was the ruler of Rome, and he had just recklessly given over to his own lusts and desires, and through his partying, through a huge party, he caused a fire which burned half of Rome. Now, he's the king, he's, he's the emperor, he's Nero. He can't be responsible for that because of his lusts and desires. He blames the people that are already against the establishment, it's the Christians. So he's going to blame them. He wants to stay popular, 
he knows that Christians are subversive to Rome anyway. And so this got put on the Christians, which starts this whole ramping up, as Pastor Doug was talking about, of the persecution. He had to start killing Christians to eliminate the loss of favor. And, and I would consider the parallels today, that we're not immune in the church from falling into the worldview of, of I'll just call it the, the cover-up persecution, right? Cover-up persecution, look around. I don't have to tell you what it's like to live in a world where our faith has been challenged, where, where restrictions seem to be put on more and more every single day. I don't have to tell you about that. So let's look at where we've been to talk about where we're going to go. The first message in this series was standing firm in God's great salvation. We got to know that our salvation from sin allows us to stand firm. The second message, standing firm in God's truth, we get future hope by his ransom to live in eternal truth. The third, standing firm on Christ's cross, we saw the strength of living as a people built on Jesus' cross. And last week, Pastor Doug walked us through what it was like to stand firm in death to self. Standing rightly in Christ's footsteps is the only way to live for him. So as we transition now to where we're at, this, this book, this first Peter, in chapters 1 and 2, invites a Christian to remember the suffering that they had to go through and the past bondage, the, the, the freedom that was taken away from them. And it keeps pushing us back to remember, look at what Christ did. Now remember, he's writing at a time when, when Jesus has already ascended. He's telling them, remember, remember what Christ did. And without pressing away, press into his truth and his cross and his love because this is important to Peter. Remember who Peter was. Peter denied Christ three times. And how did the Bible record that response? It said that he wept bitterly. And we've had entire messages and, and D-group conversations about what it was like to not be Peter in that moment, to not want to ever in our lives be a people that would weep bitterly. But he shows that the suffering for the blood-bought gospel for Jesus, that glory is what this is all about. It's what people should be living for, and it's what we should be talking about today. And we're going to, because context is king, as we've been learning. The section in 1 Peter, actually, we're not going to start there. We're going to start on the bookends. I'm going to give you guys the front and the back, and then the rest of the message will make more sense in context. Is that, is that okay with you guys? So go in your Bible now, back. We're going to read in chapter 2. I'm going to highlight verses 11 and 12 first. This is the summary of the points that Peter is making from really 2, 11, all the way through chapter 4. This is the purpose clause, that, that Christians can behave differently before the world as citizens, as slaves, as wives, and as husbands. Now, if you read with me, I'm going to read this. This slide should be on screen. This is the capstone in chapter 2. And God's word reads, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So all of what Peter lays out to that point is driven by the hope to show God glorious and awesome. And how is God shown glorious and awesome? But through his people's example, through their behavior. And that focus of setting a firm foundation leads us to chapter 2 and to chapter 3 so that Christians can live well. And that the people around them would observe what suffering well and standing firm looks like. You guys saw an example when Josh came up. Josh did not know he was going to be Josh in that moment. But Josh knew what it was like to suffer well. 
because there isn't a person in this room that doesn't love the Price family and doesn't empathize with what's going on as what Audra said. And so when Josh went up there, we knew what it was like as a church to suffer and to stand firm in victory. Amen? Amen. That's real. That was God's little hug for you. Not in the notes. So the other side of the bookend, chapter 2. We go to the other side of the bookend is in chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. So turn to chapter 3, 8 and 9. And it reads, To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, humble in spirit, and not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit the blessing. So the entire section moves from chapter 2, 11, and 12 as the, the what and the how through 3, 8, and 9 as, as the why. And Peter is drawing out that bringing God glory through suffering is the purpose that was predestined for them. That is his purpose. So now that we have a starting and an ending point in the bookends, let's look at where we're going to spend our time today. Today's message I titled, Standing Firm in Marriage for God's Glory. Standing firm in marriage for God's glory. So the big idea that we'll talk about that I hope will drive your thought process is that God gets glory in marriage when we live for him. So I'm going to say that again. God gets glory in marriage when we live for him. So the way we're going to get through that idea today, just only two points. The first point will cover a large chunk of it. Chapter 3, 1 through 6, living joyfully as a submissive wife. And the second point will be living engaged as a considerate husband, just one verse. And we'll talk about why that is later. So these two points that will follow today. I want you to take a look up on the screen. Living joyfully as a submissive wife. That's our first point. And as you look at these pictures that are going to come up throughout the message, I should clue you in on that. I want you to be thinking about how God's word is going to apply. Think about this. Verses 1 through 6. Let me read this. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. That's, that's verses 1 through 6. So let's start at the beginning and unpack this. In the same way, that idea, what's the context that Peter's talking about? This refers back to 2.1. So in chapter 2, verse 1, Peter starts with therefore. Peter's using that transition to move people from the behold to the behave. He tells them what to behold, now he's going to talk about what to behave, because knowing who we are to God makes us crave his way of life. And that gets broken down through chapter 2. We get to walk as Christians in the same way, through enduring suffering well, again, to bring God glory through submission in all areas of life. So chapter 3 is going to move from submission in, to everyone else to submission to one another in marriage. So we've looked at in the same way. Now let's talk about the word submissive for a second. And I would just love if you guys could see the look on your all faces when I said that. It was this to this to kind of this, right? Let's talk about submissive for a second. 
What image of a woman who's submissive comes to mind from what our culture says? Is it that? Is there a picture in your mind of something different? Is it somebody that's seen, not heard? Is it someone who's weak, who's submissive? Is it somebody who's just accepting of everything? Or is it a follower? Or does it maybe look like this? Well, interestingly, listen to what Peter does here. The word for submissive, the Hebrew word, it actually combines two words and is pronounced hupotasso, hupotasso. And that word means together to place under in an orderly fashion. So Peter instructs wives to walk with assurance into their orderly place in the marriage, their rightful orderly place. He models perfectly in that the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church, and his return. That's what that submission, submission means. So we can be joyful and we can be willingly joyful in our orderly place when Christ returns for us because we're bringing God glory. That's just verse 1. If you're not excited yet, let me talk about 2 through 6 here. Why talk about the way that a woman looks, right? So you can talk about submissiveness and then it goes to a way the woman looks. And you can read that about what it says outside of context and have this misguided viewpoint. But let's talk about what it really means. Adornment, not merely external in verse 3. It moves to the desires of a wife with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Well, as you remember, Pastor Doug's brought this up numerous times from the front. Jesus, in his only description of himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. So, What's Peter doing? He's affirming that the heart of a wife who defines herself through the reverence of the Lord, not looking to force her own way in her husband, adorns herself not for any other reason, shows her husband that the same spirit and character of Jesus is the way she wants to live her life. That's the point. That's the point. So Peter's using this section to show the Old Testament women of that time that their inner beauty is made even more beautiful by being in submission to their own husbands, joyfully. And then in verse 6, the submission to their husband was modeled perfectly by Sarah to Abraham. Peter exhorts these persecuted women, that now again the targets of all kinds of ridicule and death, where formerly they were not, to be just like Sarah. Be in submission with their husbands. Let the consequences rest with God, and they can become Sarah's daughters. Because here's the deal. For the wife who does this, God promises in his word that if her husband is either an unbeliever or walking out of fellowship with God, then her joyful submission can be the very means that God uses to bring her husband into a proper relationship with him. The wife's submission can lead to the husband's salvation. It's a pretty big deal. And I'd submit what's more loving than that. Let me give you an illustration of what this looks like. So on the screen, you'll see a picture of my family. That's my sweet wife and my boys. And in the business of life with two boys, this is 2011. Ethan was six. Luke was three. They're older now. My wife was homeschooling. I was homicide detective. I was working 55-plus hours a week. I was working one of the hardest caseloads with the most violence and, and all kinds of nastiness and emotion. And I'd come home. And then minutes or hours later, be called out again routinely to do these things all through the night and just kind of work through this. And never once, never once would I consider what was going on at home. But when I did come home, you know what I considered? That my wife, I demanded she meet all my needs. Literally demanded for my kids. And I didn't consider how hard it was for her to shepherd 
to lead, and then to change the lives of our two boys. So those are the two precious souls that God gave us to train. And she modeled Jesus for them in my absence. And so she worked with quiet strength and dignity. And my wife kept our home a place of refuge and honor. And she won me over without a word by the humble example of her behavior. And my wife, as you know her, she continues to put the love of Jesus on display to this day. And that hit me. Because 1 Peter 3, 7 then changed everything for me. Changed everything. My phone, I changed my wife's name to ICE, case of emergency, 1 Peter 3, 7. Every single time I see that, it reminds me. It reminds me of what the Lord has done and what he will do. Brandy's example was to point me to Christ. I'm, I'm not perfect. But in the time that the Lord's been working on me, he's making me more like him. And he's used my marriage and my wife to show his glory so that no longer people see us, hopefully, they, they see the glory of Christ put on display. Amen? That can be our lives. That can be our families. So, getting back in the text. Peter laid out in six verses how a wife could stand firm through persecution by loving her husband as Christ loved the church, thereby bringing God glory. But he just takes one verse to show husbands the same thought, distilled with intensity and emotion in the same way. Listen to this. This is our second point. Living engaged as a considerate husband. Living engaged as a considerate husband. So on the screen, there's a picture of a husband and a wife walking on the beach holding their shoes. Does anybody think that that could be me? You would be wrong. My wife's like, no. <laughs> it is not me, right? It is not me. But just think about this for a second. That's, that's a good image. I'm going to read the first part of this. I want you to focus on the word live. As I read this, focus on the word live. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way. That's the first part of verse 7. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, live in the Greek, the way it's written is present tense, active voice. It's a verb. It is action. It's live, living. It means we're to do something. And what we're to do follows in the command of what we're to understand that living is about. And it's living, guys, for our, our wives and our family is not ignoring them to watch ESPN to watch fantasy football scores, to not belittle our wives as we think they should serve our needs. It's not to talk bad about our wives at all. Or be okay when anyone else around you is talking bad about their wives. Okay? Peter writes that we're to be students of them. This means in the Greek that we're to know them and dwell with them. So pastor author Warren Wiersbe had a quote. And the part of it's going to come up here. I'm going to read this to you. He wrote about this thought. He said, the husband must make time to be home with his wife. Christian workers and church officers who get too busy running around solving other people's problems may end up creating problems of their own at home. One survey revealed the average husband and wife had 37 minutes a week together in actual communication. 37 minutes a week in actual communication. Is it any wonder that marriages fall apart after children grow up and leave home? The husband and wife are left alone to live with each other as strangers. To live with your wife is to die to yourself, as Pastor Doug talked about last week. Because when creation began, look at the, the model we get from Adam. Genesis 3.12, listen to what it says. The man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. So from the beginning, 
it was really a cool move. Adam decides to blame his wife. She gave it to me. I ate. She did it. Not me. Although he was charged with headship over her, right? So it's hard for me or you to bring glory to, to our wives, if you're married, if you don't understand that your calling is to be in headship over them and not blame cast. But the redemption and love of Christ can change all of that as we bring God glory. So that's live. The second word I want you to think about is grant. So it's live and then grant. Let me read a more unpacked version of the verse. You husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, since he is a woman, and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. So grant her honor. We first saw how we can live and understand our wives. And this is where we work from the what and the how. Now next. So grant in the Greek means to assign or bestow. Honor means to hold in high regard. So grant means to, to assign or bestow. Honor means to hold in high regard as an assignment of status. So what the words mean, to grant her honor, refers to the placement of your wife in a position of high regard and esteem because she's implicitly earned this. And she earned it because God said she earned it as your flesh and blood. The relationship was purposed to showcase what it's going to be like in the marriage between Jesus and the church. That's the reason. So we grant her honor. We give her her assigned place. And the Lord makes all husbands accountable to present our wives to him in all glory. So how does that affect the way that we treat our wives? Well, we grant honor to our wives by living moment to moment as students. We, we do. We, we should learn them and we should be eagerly expecting how this creature of God made, especially for us, <laughs> reveals an aspect of him for his glory. And she is a fellow heir to the grace of life. This means that, guys, we can't even take one minute of time to take her for granted. You can't take one minute because she's entitled and worthy of the same love, grace, and respect that God reserves for us. And honestly, if God does this, how dare we do anything else? How dare we do anything else that would steal his glory? So we talked about live and grant. That's the what and the how. It sets the stage in this last verse for why. So look at the last part of the verse for me. So live, grant. Now this last word to focus on is pray. Now, the verse in its entirety, read. You husband, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman. And show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. So you'll see up here this picture. The final part of this verse could be seen as Peter almost throwing it in casually. So your prayers won't be hindered. It sounds very Christian, right? Like, oh, I'll pray for you as you leave. You're like, see you later. I'll pray for you. We got to actually see what it means to pray for somebody when Brian Tootin showed us what that was like to get up and pray for somebody. We practiced that. That's what it, we should be doing. However, the leaving someone with the I'll pray for you doesn't take into account what the theme of 1 Peter is, standing firm, right? The context, standing firm. And because no relationship more clearly demonstrates Christ's love for his church than husband and wife, we want to think about what are we praying for? He's encouraging us to stay strong for, with, with our wives He's reminding the women to look back at the example of the matriarch of the faith through Sarah. He's affirming to husbands, take this moment. Take this moment so your prayers may not be hindered. For safety for Nero, for godly conduct. But most importantly, prayers to stay resilient to doing God's will to bring him glory. 
That's what he's talking about. Remember the bookends from the beginning to end, right? He's going to lead us into that final bookend. That's important to remember. We're designed to bring God glory. We just are. It forces us to a full stop. So as we live and grant honor and submit in prayer our marriages to our wives, because our first love is for Jesus and not our wives, we get to see that that truth, it just really transcends everything. And because faith and obedience to Jesus are the hallmarks of a loving marriage. Let me say that again. Faith and obedience to Jesus are the hallmarks to a loving marriage. Then we should try to daily outdo each other in magnifying God's glory by preferring one another. And we stand firm then in that place. So I want you to consider this week how to best work through some of these ideas. I'm going to give you some strategies here in a minute. But it's going to come up on the screen, the table talk question. Now, it's not for today, but I'm going to leave it up here as I give you some strategies. Think about this. Here's the question. What stumbling blocks do Christian men and women overcome in embracing considerate engagement and submissive followership? How can a husband and wife together show others that Jesus is simply better? I would submit to you five ways. And I'm going to kind of close up with these five ways. First, you can take notes on this if you want. Admit. Admit your need for Jesus and reset your priorities in life to him. Get up 15 minutes early. Wait, let me get over here to get on the soapbox. Get up 15 minutes early to read, respond, reflect on what God's doing. Be in his word. You cannot stand in front of me and tell me that being in God's word will not change you any more than you can say, here's a gun, go shoot perfectly and never practice. Admit. Secondly, pray. Pray for your spouse, specifically by name every day. Every day. Petition God to bring his glory through your spouse instead of, dare I say, a task list of ways to improve them. Just saying. So admit and pray. Third, trust. Trust that your spouse is the gift from God you never knew, you always wanted that you finally have. Where you at, Mo? I'm going to say that again. Trust that your spouse is the gift from God that you never knew you always wanted that you finally have. My brother brought me that one. Listen, encourage the time. Encourage their time in the Lord personally. Encourage them. Give them time to be with godly people. Give them time without guilt. Hey, when you come home, uh, it's your turn with the kids. Or, you know what, I guess I'll just do what I want when you get back. Or if you're done reading, maybe we can hang out. That, that's not what he's saying. Okay, we, we can do better. Admit, pray, trust. Fourth, act. Act like a spirit-filled believer. Be strong enough to put all your needs, and I mean all of your needs, behind chasing God and magnifying his beauty through the needs of your spouse and the family. you got to be willing to fight. Here's the thing. We can fight off an intruder that comes in our home, and we're all ready to do that, right? But a thief who would destroy and hurt and kill and, and get in between that with a harsh word or careless heart, we do nothing. We open the doors of our heart to that. you got to be willing to act. And lastly, after admit, pray, trust, and act, finally thank. Thank God. Thank God for loving you enough to lead you in your own refinement for your spouse to make you more like Jesus so that you can introduce him to people that need to be saved, right? 
So as I close, I want to invite the music team back up. Watch where the Lord leads and go there. We talked about it last summer. And the summer before that, on these summer studies, there was a, the Blackaby book, Experiencing God, right? Watch where God works. Go there. Because as you learn to live, right? We, we talked about this in our two points, right? We live as joyfully submissive wife, and then we live engaged as a considerate husband. As you do that, you'll see that the greatest example of love and servant leadership that the world has ever known has come through the person of Jesus. And the one relationship in the word of God that never turns against one another is husband and wife. Ever. I encourage you to look that up. And when you live, give honor, and pray the Lord refines your passion, you will see that he will bring you in positions to showcase him and to bring him glory through suffering, as Peter's talking about, suffering through fire, to be the gold wedding gift fit for a king. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, what an amazing privilege it is to consider that we knowingly are going to walk into a battle, a battle that we saw take place this morning, and another victory that you didn't even have to do, you just chose to do. And Lord, as you unpack your word in this book, you're showing us that submissive obedience to you, either as an employee or an employer or in a family or even in the complex and yet beautifully loving relationship of husband and wife, it is all designed for one thing that you purposed from the beginning that you'll show up at the end is to bring you glory. And so Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you would teach us these things and that we want to submit to you. Lord, teach us to be better in our, in our parenting, in our relationship with our spouse, but most importantly, first and foremost, Lord, would you, would you teach us to be better in relationship with you? Ignite the passion in our hearts right now that would want us to get up 15 minutes early and that would speak with joy about the things that you and only you can have and will do.